Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, I'm joined by fellow co-founder, the lord of the top 150, Evan Silva, and we are roughly one month away from training camp opening. It is time to get serious, my friend. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Today, we're going to be talking about some adjustments that have been made to the top 150. Um, we did add a feature uh, at EstablishTheRun.com that has uh, rankings, changes, explanations, and that's going to be uh, in effect through uh, the start of week one. Um, so, and I, a lot of people find that as a very, very helpful feature, you know, understanding why guys are moving around the top 150. We're also going to talk about some ADP changes um, and maybe one strategy take uh, at the end. And um, oh, we also just recorded a podcast with Greg Rosenthal, now of NFL Network slash NFL.com slash the Around the League podcast. And he both kind of he put kind of both of us on the map and there was a great discussion. So um, if you're into that kind of stuff, check it out. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to remind everybody of a couple of things. First, uh, Evan's team by team previews have started to go up on the site. If you don't follow anything all offseason, right? Like you weren't following us on Twitter, you weren't listening to any shows, you just want to show up and start getting ready. If you can just take the time to read each one of Evan's team by team previews, they're like 800, 900 words or so, you'll be way, way, way ahead of the game. And so we're going to post those uh, slowly as they come out. I think we have five, six, seven up uh, of them so far, and we'll get the next, uh, all of them out over the next month or so. But I think that's a really good way to catch up. Second thing is really, we would really appreciate if you guys left us a review on iTunes would help us out a bunch. And the last thing is the early bird special that is up on the site right now will not last forever. And it is by far, by far the best deal we will be offering all summer. All right. With that, let's get to the topics at hand. First thing we're talking about is Kyler Murray. Evan has dropped Kyler Murray in his rankings from the QB5 to the QB7. He is now behind Josh Allen. He's behind Deshaun Watson. He's behind Russ Wilson. I think the argument for Kyler Murray breakout, which a lot of people are on, is, I mean, last year he was the QB11 as just a stone rookie coming in cold with a new coaching staff. Total dust as, as weaponry, you know, corpse of Larry Fitzgerald, Keyshawn Johnson, Demir Bird. They didn't even use Andy Isabella. Now in year two, another year in the system, another year in the NFL. Now he has DeAndre Hopkins. So there, there's a lot in favor of Deion, of Kyler Murray. And I think QB7 is still fine, but why is he now behind Deshaun Watson and Russ Wilson, whereas before he was in front of those guys? Yeah, and so as I'm writing up the, the fantasy team previews, you know, and I'm, I'm digging in and doing more research on teams and, and player ten and, and especially team tendencies and um, just how every every player sort of is fitting into their offense and where they are coming in uh, from an ADP standpoint. You know, I, I'm looking at the second tier. I'm you know, writing up the Cardinals uh, team fantasy. Pro. I do them in alphabetical order. So the Arizona Cardinals are obviously near the top. And I'm looking more into Kyler Murray. And I just decided I, I didn't like him as much as the other second tier quarterbacks. So we have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, the first tier. And then the second tier leads off with Dak Prescott and Josh Allen. And then I had Kyler Murray right there as the number five fantasy quarterback. So what I did, I just moved him to the back of that tier, which pushed him behind Deshaun Watson and behind Russell Wilson. Um, so that took him from quarterback five to quarterback seven. That's going to make him uh, us 
considerably lower on Kyler Murray than ADP. Um, and we're probably not going to be getting a whole lot of Kyler Murray, but I think that he is a guy that is being overdrafted right now. I mean, his ADP is actually above Dak Prescott's right now. He's, he's uh, the quarterback three, according to FFPC ADP. Um, you know, I think that this team is going to run the ball a lot. They finished, you know, they, they wanted to finish really high in terms of uh, total offensive plays last year, and they did not. They finished 22nd in offensive plays. I, I think that they'll probably finish closer to the middle of the pack, even if uh, potentially a, a little bit better than, than uh, the middle of the pack this year in, in offensive plays run. But they were so good in the running game. Um, and I think that that's going to continue to be a big focus of their offense because of how dominant they were on the ground. Again, they were number two in football outsiders rushing DVOA behind only uh, the Ravens. So I think that this is going to be a good year for Kyler Murray. We still have him as a, you know, a top seven quarterback. We still have him in the second tier, but I, I, I'm comfortable being lower uh, on Kyler Murray than consensus. And that's where we're going to have him for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about Deshaun Watson and Russ Wilson. He's slid right. behind. He's not, we're not talking about sliding him behind total scrubs. The one thing I would say about Kyler Murray, aside from what I said at the beginning, was I, I was afraid he just wasn't going to run. At the beginning of last year, remember, he like wasn't mm-hmm. running at all. And then at the end of the year, he started to run more. Now, if you think that you can project him for seven, eight, nine hundred yards rushing, now we're talking massive upside. But last mm-hmm. year, there were a lot of games he just didn't show it. And maybe it was injury related. What do you think about his rushing uh, upside for this year, more or less than last year? Yeah, it was kind of up and down. And as you mentioned, it looked bleak for him. Like they weren't put giving him any um, active, you know, uh, um, designed runs in the first three or four weeks. Um, eventually they loosen that up a little bit. I wonder if they might even try to scale that back this year because now they have better weaponry uh, in the passing game. Kenyon Drake is an upgrade on what they had at, at running back uh, for most of last season. Um, and, you know, d- uh, down the stretch, he was, uh, you know, his, his pace stats over his eight games with the Cardinals. I mean, he was over 1300 yards and um, you know, 14 touchdowns and 56 catches just from a pace standpoint. And then adding DeAndre Hopkins uh, to the mix, you know, are, are they, I mean, are they going to become more of a um, a team that you know doesn't run Kyler Murray um, and plays balanced offense? And I think that we're a year away still from Kyler Murray advancing into that, uh, that Dak, Dak Prescott uh, and above Deshaun Watson into that kind of territory. So I feel comfortable having him still in the second tier, but just not as high as Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson has a ton, an, an immense amount of upside as well. I mean, they there have been rumors that the Seahawks might sign Antonio Brown. That, uh, DK Metcalf could just absolutely explode in his second year uh, with the team. Their defense still doesn't look very good. I mean, they one of the weakest pass rushes in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I feel good about Kyler Murray at the end of uh, Tier 2. Okay, let's get to an injury situation. Haven't heard had that many injuries because guys aren't really working out and stuff like that. At least they're not working out with uh, other players. Sony Michelle, you've dropped him from RB32 to RB48 in the wake of his recent foot injury. Let me read you Sony Michelle's injury history. And this was one of the reasons I couldn't believe that Bill Belichick used the first-round pick on Sony Michelle. But, but anyways, ACL tear in high school. 2017 knee injury in the SEC championship game. 2018, he had a knee fluid procedure costing some time. 2019, just last year, he had a knee scope. And then now, foot surgery. He says he'll be fine. But man, they used the third round pick on Damian Harris. They still have Rex Burkhead. They still have James White. It's like Sonny Michelle doesn't play in the pass game. So I'm all for 
dropping Sony Michelle like a stone, uh, even if you think the Patriots are going to be reasonably good without Tom Brady. So uh, RB48 feels to me like you likely won't get much Sony Michelle, but we'll have to keep an eye on the injury news, but I really don't want any of him anyways. Yeah, I mean, and he had this foot surgery. We still don't know what kind of foot surgery it was that that has not been revealed yet. But I think it's safe to say that a running back who obviously relies on his feet, having surgery on his feet, is probably not a good sign. It just compounds the concerns uh, regarding his knee. Uh, and that that knee injury is significant. I mean, I've talked to Dr. Chow about that specifically, and you know, he's not optimistic really about the long-term future of, of Sony Michelle. So now we have – a running back on what's probably going to be a low scoring Patriots team who doesn't catch passes and he has knee and foot injury concerns. So yeah, I just, I wanted to get him just well out of range with where any of our readers are going to be drafting him. I don't want him on any of my teams. He's going to be, you know, on the shy away 40 list uh, when we put that out in August. Um, and, you know, I moved James White and Damian Harris up a bit. But at the end of the day, I'm just I'm not real optimistic about this backfield giving us reliable points this year. Yeah, I think pretty clear cut situation there. Let's stay in the running backs in the AFC East and move to Zach Moss. And I like this one. You move Zach Moss from RB60 to RB47. I talked with Pat Corain a little bit a couple few episodes ago about Zach Moss being a zero RB candidate. And he doesn't have to be a zero RB candidate. He can just be a good pick no matter what strategy you're employing, because mm-hmm. I think People don't realize, I mean, Frank Gore got 11 touches per game last year, and that was even with him getting phased out to like just one or two touches a game down the stretch. He had 11 touches per game, and then they use a round three pick on Zach Moss, and they can use him right away, I think, as a big back. He has some TD equity, even though they'll use Josh Allen down there some. And then he has a ton of upside if Devin Singletary happened to get hurt. So I like Zach Moss as a pick in Dynasty. I thought he was underrated in Dynasty drafts. I think he's underrated in redraft now but why the move now from zach moss rb60 up to rb47 this move was based on a combination of doing live drafts myself um some of them with really smart guys like sean siegel uh, who originated the zero rb theory and um you know has a really great track record of 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 being a great fantasy football player himself um and i also did the bills team preview Mm -hmm. which is now live on the site and um, Sean Siegel has taken Zach Moss late in, in drafts that I've done with him, I think multiple times. Um, and so I started to look a little bit more into Zach Moss myself, who I originally sort of pegged for a short yardage slash goal line role behind Devin Singletary. And I really started to think, you know, is there a chance that Zach Moss could actually overtake Devin Singletary as the Bills carry leader this year? Both of these guys are third round picks. Devin Singletary was drafting the third round. Zach Moss was drafting the third round. Zach Moss weighs 223 pounds. Devin Singletary weighs 203. And Zach Moss uh, caught a bunch of passes in college. So, you know, I just – I think that there's more of a chance there that Zach Moss could actually end up, you know, at, at least uh, making this an even committee, if not out-touching Devin Singletary this year. Um, so I and you know I, I also look deeper into Devin Singletary and I just I don't see the upside with, with Devin Singletary. He really wasn't targeted heavily last year um, in the passing game outside of that playoff loss to the Texans. Um, again, he's two hundred three pounds, um, and you know what what's his touchdown equity when he's got Josh Allen and Zach Moss as probably superior options at the goal line than is Devin Singletary at five eight five nine two zero three. Um, yeah. 
So the upside really just isn't there. And I think that at this point, I would much rather have Zach Moss as my RB5 than Devin Singletary as my RB2. Like, I, I don't want Devin Singletary as my RB2. Right. And if you go back and read Pat Crane's, like, how to hit on an RB article, he talks about how there are trap running backs going in round three, round four, round five. That's where you typically find them, where people are just, like, betting on just straight volume projection. But that is uh, not something that we can be too, too reliant on in these kind of muddled backfields. And, and yeah, I think Devin Singletary is one of those guys that people are reaching on at the RB position. I really want to be taking wide receivers in rounds three, four, five, where it's like so, so, so plentiful. Speaking of the guys at wide receiver, you can get in round three, four, five. Let's go to Allen Robinson. Big raise here in Evan's rankings. Raised Allen Robinson from wide receiver 14 to wide receiver six. I mean, Allen Robinson was like the first of the Penn State guys to have like the juice in that in his like combine numbers. Like, man, Allen Robinson had outrageous vertical and he is produced with some truly, truly woeful quarterbacks. I believe his only quarterbacks he's had in the NFL are Blake Bortles and Mitchell Trubisky. And I know Big Dick Nick is no world beater, but if you remove the Jeff Fisher year, I think it was 2015 in St. Louis with Jeff Fisher, Nick Foles, I thought, has actually been like reasonable. Like, and I'm willing to throw out the disaster Jeff Fisher year. So Allen Robinson, though, up to wide receiver six, that is a big, big move. You're going to be well ahead of market on Allen Robinson at wide receiver six. Talk to the people. So I think that before Allen Robinson was in a range, this again has to do with, you know, uh, doing drafts myself, but I think that before Allen Robinson was in a range where I just wasn't going to get, wasn't getting them, you know, and, and there really is, I think a big, big group of sort of second half wide receiver ones and first half wide receiver twos that are all kind of the same. And, you know, as I was doing the, the Bears uh, team preview and as I'm doing these live drafts, I just I wanted more Allen Robinson because it, it really adds up to um, him potentially having a monster year. Um, as you mentioned, Nick Foles, probably the best quarterback of his career. I mean, go, even going back to college, he had Matt McGloin and, and Christian Hackenberg were the guys throwing him passes. He goes to the NFL. It's Mitchell Trubisky and Blake Bortles. And. Now you look at who he is, and so I think that there is a potentially substantial upgrade uh, at the quarterback position for him. Now he's competing for targets with Ted Ginn, who is really on his last legs at age 35, 36. Anthony Miller, who really, you know, I like him as a player, but I think he's fine, but he really has not made a dent yet. Um, and then this, you know, mishmash of tight ends with the rookie Cole Komet or Jimmy Graham, who's washed, and then you know, I, I love that Matt Nagy has Allen Robinson running 41% of his routes in the slot. Uh, last year, Allen Robinson just dominated in the slot. He averaged uh, almost 2.2 yards per route run. He was uh, eighth among 57 qualified receivers in uh, yards per slot route run. That's actually a great way to manufacture catches for Allen Robinson. Um, Sean Payton in New Orleans does that all the time with Michael Thomas uh, and it's just a great way to get the ball to your best player. Uh, and their, their target rates in the slot are really, really high. Like when, when they go in the slot, there's a, a, a significant uh, rise in the likelihood that they're going to see a target in there. And that's the case with Allen Robinson and, and Michael Thomas. Allen Robinson last year finished number seven in the NFL in receptions. He was number three in the NFL in targets. 
Um, and, you know, the more that I looked into him, I thought, you know, going into his contract year, uh, he's at, you know, at, at his age peak uh, at age 27. I think that this guy could, you know, catch 110 balls this season with that weak target competition and, um, you know, the improved quarterback play. So, uh, yeah, I, I decided I, I think we want to be bullish on out. We were bullish on him last year. We had him as the number one buy in all forms of fantasy, dynasty, and everything last year. He did have a great season. I think he can have the best season of his career this season. Yeah. Okay. I'm on board with that for sure. I want to move to a, a sadder situation, this Debo Samuel yeah. situation and the fallout from that, because I know Evan was extremely high on Debo Samuel coming into this year. I don't know, man. Broke his left foot. Needs surgery. They're calling a Jones fracture. Fracture. Some people around the team are saying he'll be back for the year. That that doesn't make much sense to me. I think there's a very realistic chance he starts the year on reserve pup, and then who knows from there. You dropped him from wide receiver 28 to wide receiver 45. Uh, they don't have a lot behind him. I mean, Brendan Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, Jalen Hurd, who, who I like, but has only played 50 preseason snaps in the NFL. Dante Pettis, who obviously fell out of favor last year. There are rumors I think around Antonio Brown. Uh, possibly showing interest or them showing interest in Antonio Brown. I don't know if that'll come to fruition, but the wide receiver position in, in San Francisco is wide open. And I'm curious if this has affected your outlook on Jimmy Garoppolo, who we talked about a couple episodes ago also. But yeah, talk to me about the fallout from the Debo Samuel injury. I hated making this change because I really, really wanted to be high on Debo Samuel this year. But the the Jones fracture, um, which he suffered in in the middle of June, his timeline is 10 to 12 weeks, supposedly. Um, that would put him right at week one. But Dr. Chow thinks that Debo Samuel's going on reserve PUP, which would knock him out for the first six games. He actually had a bad injury history at South Carolina. He really wasn't a big-time player until his senior year. Um, and these Jones fractures have a very high susceptibility to setbacks. Like Sammy Watkins had one. Um, you know, and uh, it, it's like – what you really need is just time off the foot. And, you know, how do you get Debo Samuel time off the foot? By putting him on reserve PUP, you know, not by rushing him back to where he, uh, you know, the susceptibility of a setback would rise. So I moved, for, I moved him from a wide receiver two slash three to a wide receiver four slash five. And I'm not even sure that that's low enough. Um, and I, I think uh, as much as I hate to say it, I think he's going to be on the shy away 40 this year, Debo Samuel because he's just not a good fantasy bet anymore. And he, he, there, there is a decent chance. I think that he doesn't even finish, you know, August uh, still inside the top 150. Uh, you have Brandon Ayuk as the wide receiver 46. Now I, they seem to like Kendrick Bourne uh, a reasonable amount. I can see Kendrick mm -hmm. Bourne playing a ton. And the guy I'm most excited about is Jalen Hurd and, you know, hashtag team preseason Jalen Hurd comes out in his first preseason game scores two touchdowns uh, in his first game. Um, how do you see it behind Debo Samuel shaking out, assuming they don't sign Antonio Brown uh, and assuming Debo starts the year on pup? Well, first of all, with Garoppolo, um, I was tempted to back off, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo MVP long shot stance uh, after Debo Samuel's uh, Debo Samuel suffered the uh, Jones fracture. But, you know, I thought about it some more. And even if just like half the targets that were going to go to Debo, um, on a per game basis or, you know, some one third go to George Kittle instead. I mean, I'm even more bullish on Jimmy G. So I'm not going to be backing off that. Um, I want to take George Kittle in the second round and I want to take Jimmy Garoppolo in the 11th or the 12th or whatever. Um, and I want to make that one of my highest owned stacks 
this season. And then, you know, I think that you can add Brandon Ayuk or Jalen Hurd real late to complete the team stack. Um, I also think that Tevin Coleman is a good enough value in the ninth or 10th round as part of a 49er stack. I think that their offense is going to, you know, stay functioning at a, at a very, very high rate. I was doing a live slow draft when the Debo Samuel uh, injury was uh, reported and wound up taking Brandon Ayuk as like my wide receiver five and Jalen Hurd as like my wide receiver seven um, late, late in that draft. Debo, Debo Samuel, unfortunately, had already been drafted. But um, that's kind of the way that I'm, I'm approaching it. And, and I agree with, with you about Kendrick Bourne. They, and that's a guy that they really feel like they can trust, I think. you know. And I, I think that he is going to end up seeing a significant amount of playing time. It's just he just you know, doesn't have a whole lot of playmaking ability. But I do think that he's going to be probably you know, a frustrating guy that ends up being on the field more than he probably should. Yeah, and Evan did move George Kittle up to number 19 overall from number 29 yep. overall as a result of the Debo Samuel uh, injury. Okay, no injury on A.J. Green, but you dropped A.J. Green from wide receiver 31 to wide receiver 38. Um, four wide receivers set, and there's a lot of mouths to feed in, in Cincy. And, and I have mm-hmm. been, I keep trying to find like, plus 220, plus 230 on Joe Burrow for Rookie of the Year because it just sets up, I think, really well for him to put up good numbers given their defense, given the, the supporting cast that he has. I mean, four wide receivers set, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, T. Higgins. They have Joe Mixon. They have Gio Bernard. They have reasonable play at tight end, I think, with Azuma. So, uh, you know, I, I get that there's a lot of mouths to feed, but if A.J. Green is healthy, man, he really was an alpha. I don't know. And there's some skepticism that his injury was as severe as he led on last year a lot of people think hey he just wanted to sit out and 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 make sure he didn't get hurt again before securing a bag so why drop aj green now from wide receiver 31 to 38 and this was another instance of doing the bengals uh fantasy team preview and just looking into all of aj green's red flags and really you know it's it's rough i mean it, I just I think he's a guy that I'm only going to take if he falls well past his ADP because you have contract concerns, you have a hold, potential holdout concerns, you have his age. You know he's 32 now. You have significant injury concerns. He's missed with 23 games over the past two seasons with foot injuries. Effectiveness. We, we have no idea what what he has left in his tank right now. You know, and uh, the ability to and although Zach Taylor did de- declare him. 100% healthy, the ability to, to sustain that health. He's got a new quarterback. Um, there have been rumors for a while that A.J. Green doesn't want to play for the Bengals ever again. Uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reported that uh, last year that he doesn't want to play for the Bengals again. He's like a quiet guy. He doesn't. He's not a guy who's going to you know, create like a, a, a big circus about it. But you know, I, there, there are just so many red flags on this guy. Um, he didn't play football last year. Again, entering his age 32 season. I just think that we need to have A.J. Green as a boom-bust wide receiver four and not have him ranked as a wide receiver three. Um, I think we we still have a shot to get him if you really want him uh, at this ranking. But, um, you know, I just – I wanted to kind of continue to push him out of the range because there, there's a really, really low four here. Yeah, and they did you say a very early second-round pick on T. Higgins. And John Ross, I think, is, you know, obviously a former top 10 pick, very, very, as he showed last year, can put up some big numbers too. So certainly not a clean target competition for A.J. Green either. 
I'm still tempted by him just because, God, I, I loved playing A.J. Green uh, when he was right, but we'll see. Uh, okay, by the way, we're going to talk about ADP a little bit here. Uh, if you go to this site, and we're working on getting an a, a separate ADP tab, but for now, uh, we are pulling in the uh, FFPC high stakes uh, ADP, which I think is super, super valuable. You can find that in our FFPC top 300 rankings. Also, if you go to the full PPR rankings, you can find a consensus of some other uh, ADP in there as well. And so we're trying our best. We're not using any mock draft ADP because I think that's completely useless, but we're trying to do our best to pull in as many actual real league money ADP as we can for you guys. With that in mind, Miles Sanders ADP continues to just rise. I mean, Miles Sanders now is going like 1.07 in FFPC. And as we talked about on earlier podcasts, FFPC is extremely running back heavy, but still 1.07. And the rhetoric from beat writers just off the charts with, and Doug Peterson too. I mean, well, Miles Sanders is our guy. Uh, we're not going to sign XYZ. We're not going to sign Devontae Freeman. We're not going to sign Carlos Hyde, whatever, whatever. We'll see if that that comes to uh, fruition at all. But either way, this is very clearly Miles Sanders' backfield. People are going to say, hey, the history of Doug Peterson does not warrant 1.07. And the other side is he's never had a back like Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. So for the second straight year, I think we are way higher, maybe not way higher, but we're higher than consensus on Miles Sanders. But now it's getting to the point where everybody's on the bandwagon. So mm-hmm. what do we do now that Miles Sanders is going like seventh overall? Yeah, so this one I was a little surprised to see, that Miles My- Sanders' ADP is actually rising yeah. uh, over the last four days in high-stakes uh, FFP- FFPC drafts. So he's gone from basically a fringe first-round pick to solidly a first-round pick right in the middle of round one. And I don't – you know, I'm not convinced that the Eagles are, are done fishing for uh, veteran free agent running backs. They were connected to Carlos Hyde before he signed with Seattle and Devontae Freeman, who was still unsigned, and they could very easily go sign uh, uh, Devontae Freeman. And, look, we were really high on Miles Sanders last year, and he hit, and we, we have him as the 10th overall player this year, but now he's the 7th overall player in FFPC ADP. So if this trend continues – and hold strong. We're not going to be getting much Miles Sanders this year. And I, I think that that's surprising because I really do believe that having him at 1.10 is aggressive. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. And I think as more casuals come into the market in August and September, you'll see Miles Sanders ADP drop a little bit. And if, and if they sign Devontae Freeman or I don't know, Lamar Miller, I don't even know who they, else they could sign, but uh, you'll see his ADP drop there as well. So I think now would not be the time if you wanted Miles Sanders shares to be on him. It's probably the peak of his ADP right now. Speaking of ADP and hype, DK Metcalf's ADP is now ahead of Tyler Lockett's. And that's a little surprising to me. I love DK Metcalf, man. His ADP now though is 52.2. Tyler Lockett, who I also love, his ADP is 53.8. Are you surprised that DK Metcalf is now going ahead of Tyler Lockett? And can you make a case for that? Well, you know, and to be clear, this is not the case in all ADPs. Like if you go to Yahoo's ADP, uh, Lockett is still ahead of uh, DK Metcalf. But um, in the sharper ADP, I think it's really interesting. Like DK Metcalf outscoring and overtaking Tyler Lockett as as the Seahawks number one receiver is a possibility that we've discussed on this podcast before. And I think it's, it's very, very real. I just don't think it's a likelihood enough to rank Metcalf ahead of Tyler Lockett. You, know, you look at the chemistry that Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett have built, it's right up there with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And we've also talked about how 
I really want to be betting on these established quarterback to pass catcher rapports, especially, you know, in this particular year, I think it's always a really good process, but especially because there, you know, I mean, Russell Wilson is just not going to have as many reps with Philip Dorsett. And at the end of the day, you know, that, that, that smaller chance that Philip Dorsett is going to get that target, I think becomes even smaller. um, You know, when the, when the, 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 when the bullets are firing in an actual game and Russ is going to look to Lockett or, or DK. And he has the most established uh, rapport with Tyler Lockett. Um, And so I think it's still like 50% chance that maybe, maybe even 60% chance that Lockett leads Seattle receiving uh, Metcalf like 30 to 40% and 10% for the field. But yeah, I'm I'm on the, the Lockett side of this debate, even as the ADP changes, just really, you know, have had a lot of success over the years banking on those established uh, quarterback pass catcher um, rapports. And Tyler Lockett's is right up there with, you know, the the most um, established chemistry uh, battery mates in the league. Yeah. While we're on this, I want to get your take on Antonio Brown, because I know a lot of people, there's a lot of chatter out there about where should I take Antonio Brown? Should I take Antonio Brown? Where is he going to land? I hope he doesn't land in Seattle, because one thing like you right. can project, you know, they don't have a tight end taking a lot of targets. They don't have a running back taking a lot of targets. I mean, you when when Russ throws 35, 40 times in game scores where that happens, it's just an absolute party for DK mm-hmm. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I don't really want anyone to block that. That said, I could see Antonio Brown, if his head is on straight, fitting in reasonably well there. Are you taking Antonio Brown in drafts currently? And how would you handle him? Where do you think he's going to land? Yeah, we added Antonio Brown to the top 150, I want to say two or three weeks ago. And right now he is, I think, in the 120s, like around one. I want to say he's 121. Um, I think it's likely. And first of all, he's a much better best ball pick than he is in redraft. And I understand that that has become cliche, but it's especially true in this case because um, he's very likely to face an early season early season suspension. I think it would probably be four to six games. And in season-long redraft, like, that's just – that ain't going to work. Like, you can't hang on to a dude for – I mean, you could probably withstand it for the, for the four-game suspension. But I think the six-game suspension is probably likelier. And that's just – it's really hard to hold on to a guy, you know, through those first waiver runs, through the, the first, you know, sets of bye weeks and all that. Depends how deep your bench is, but yeah. Absolutely. And, and yeah. And that's also a really big factor. But – um you know, but in best ball, that doesn't matter as much, you know, because you're, you're going to be locking in those 10 games um, and you don't have to deal with, you know, uh, setting your lineup, uh, you know, on a weekly basis within those first four to six. So um, I, I think that that's really important to note. But, yeah, I, you know, if Antonio Brown does go to Seattle, like all in on Russell Wilson, I think that uh, Russell Wilson would move maybe – above Dak Prescott, maybe right below. I think certainly we put him uh, behind or ahead of Josh Allen. Yeah, so I think we probably put him as the quarterback four behind Lamar, Mahomes, and um, and Dak. Yeah. But I think that would be a great, great lift. It, but it would very much damage Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf because it's already, you know, relatively run first team. And, I mean, those, those guys are kind of, you know, they're, 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 they're surviving on the margins because they don't get targeted at a very high rate. They were both under seven targets per game last year. Yeah. The bear case on Antonio is we don't know how long the suspension is going to be. 
when he comes back, I mean, I, I think there's this dude has very clearly had some mental problems. We don't know he's going to sustain being back. And we also don't know how effective he's going to be. He hasn't played football in, in, you know, a year and a half. So that's the bear case, Antonio Brown. You know, I, I think if you can get him, if you're drafting now and like some best balls uh, late, extremely late, I'm okay with it. I personally would not be reaching for Antonio Brown at this point. All right. Man, he looked pretty sick in the uh, I know. Big exposure uh, with, with the Patriots last year. And apparently he was just destroying uh, in Raiders camp during his few practices there. Um, yeah. I don't, he's been quiet, though. I mean, he, he really has been quiet now for a, a pretty sustained period. And I think, you know, chances are, it sounds like it's starting to get serious. That, and, and teams want to win, man. Yeah. And um, he, he can help them win. For sure. Uh, okay, before we get out of here, I want to talk strategy for a second. I know we have talked a lot about draft, preferring to draft off tiers rather than the top 150. I think this year is somewhat unique, and you need to think about a lot of different factors when you're drafting just because of how RB-heavy people are, how RB-hungry people are. So I know you've thought about this some, Evan. What are you thinking about top 150 versus tiers and how you, do, how you would recommend people who have the draft kit use those? Yeah, and this was a point that I wanted to touch on because, you know, we hired Michael Leone, who is one of the best data analysts in, in all of fantasy sports. And I've talked to him a little bit about the, the top 150. And, you know, we made that big shift up for the running backs to better reflect the market. We talked about that on a pod, a few podcasts ago. But if you are using the, the top 150 to draft your team, you're really positioned to come out of the early rounds with one or two stud running backs, and then you're hammering wide receivers in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, and so on. And I think that that's right now, based on how the ADPs are, based on how our rankings are, I think that that's the way to go. Because, And, and I kind of wonder if uh, using the, one, the top 150 might actually be a better strategy than using the tiers, which I've supported uh, in the past as a better way to – uh, better means of drafting than the top 150. Um, but I'm not sure that, they, that the tiers will give you as big of an edge as they have in past years. I, may, I think there might just be a great opportunity to simplify our drafts this year because it's. I think it's clear that you need to come out of the first few rounds with at least one running back. But the value starts to set in where you know other people are drafting, let's say Raheem Mostert and David Johnson and, K- and Cam Akers in the fourth and fifth rounds. We've already got at least one running back on our team, and now we're hammering Terry McLaurin or DK Metcalf or Robert Woods or DJ Sharp. You know, in those third and fourth rounds, I really want to be hammering wide receivers um, and taking it. You know, starting off RBRB or starting off you know RB tight end or something like that. That that puts us in position to just rip off you know three or four wide receiver picks right there in those uh, rounds three through six. Um, and I think that that's where all the wide receiver value is. And then we can come back and address our RB2, try to piece it together um, with guys in the middle rounds or, you know, again, we, we can start RBRB in this, in this situation. But yeah, uh, I, th- I think the draft, like the, the top 150 is linear, right? And I think that as you look at um, where, the, where the best values are, I think that drafting in a, in a linear uh, way uh, you sort of started to capture the value, especially in those rounds three through six. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about where I would like to draft this year if I could pick, you know, and my first thought, and I tweeted that I, I thought that the first three picks, you secure one of CMC, Saquon, uh, or Zeke, uh, and securing one of those guys is just such a huge opportunity gap. 
But then some people made the point, well, if you want to start RBRB and then you start to go real heavy wide receiver, being in the back end of the first round is actually better because maybe you can go Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake, where you could go, uh, I don't know, whatever. If you like, we don't like Josh Jacobs, but if you like Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry or you get two of them, something like that. And then instead, if you only have CMC, Saquon or Zeke, the running back starts to get a little bit hairy there at the two, three turn. I think my point is more, I don't mind only having one running back in the first couple rounds and then mm-hmm. just going tons of wide receivers and tight ends and then try to get on some of those running backs that Karain and I had discussed. And Karain's going to have more articles about later round running backs to target. But anyways, it's a long way of asking you if you could pick anywhere right now. And we'll come back to this when it's closer to drafting season. But if you could pick anywhere right now to pick in a draft, where would you pick? You know, I... I usually have a good answer for that. And I don't yet this year. I need to do more drafts. I've done a bunch, but I I need to do more. And I'll definitely have a take on that at some point. I've drafted teams from all over that that I've liked and also drafted teams from all over that I didn't like. So I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, But I will say this. I do not want in any scenario for me to be in the fourth round and looking at Raheem Mostert or Devin Singletary or – you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be drafting these guys in the fourth round under any circumstances. I really don't want to draft David Johnson, even though I have in a couple of drafts and I just felt dirty afterwards. I don't want to be drafting Cam Akers in the fifth round. I mean, his ADP on FFPC right now is 5.01. No, thank you. You know, so that's the scenario that I definitely want to avoid feeling like I have to take these really, really shaky you know, not even necessarily high upside RB2s in the fourth and fifth fifth rounds. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk a lot more about that as we get close to drafting, closer to drafting season. It's almost July drafting season, which I consider to be August and the first week of September will be here soon enough. All right. We've said it all again, please. Oh, uh, if you haven't picked up the draft kit yet, we talked a lot about the draft kit in here. It's $30. It comes with a $25 coupon to FFPC, essentially making it $5. I have been trying to convince Evan to make it more expensive for the last couple months. I think I'm going to wear him down and it will be more expensive soon. So go check out the draft kit as soon as possible. All right. For Evan, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.